Welcome to the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday of Advent for the week of December 22nd, 2019, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and isn't it an exciting season knowing that we're right at the doorstep of Christmas, and we're right at that door of the preparation of us preparing not only for Christ and remembering Christ coming, but Christ coming again, and all this preparation, and what has that done, and we're getting to the home stretch, and I know for a lot of people, this is a very busy season. I know there's also a time of, hopefully along the way, you've had time to reflect and spend some time just physically preparing, not just getting everything, but just as a human, physically preparing. And often, I mean, think about that as slowing down for a moment. I know a lot of your pastors right now is not the time where they get that. It's usually sometime around Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, at some point, they get a brief moment of Advent. But I think it's a fun thing to think about and to consider as we're going into in between the holiday season here of what that really means and taking that time to really reflect on that, especially as this next week has Christ coming in Christmas. And like I did last year, I'm just going to focus on the Sunday text. But I think this week it kind of brings some of that in. And it's actually something with what I'm discussing today, I don't think it'd be outlandish to talk about with your Christmas Eve or Christmas Day sermon, if that's what you're looking for. But I think there's a lot of things to consider and think about. But before we get into that, we have to look at last week's Twitter question. And the Twitter question from last week was, what are the keystone species in your life? What are the things that change things, turn things over, or cause you to look at things different? This can be in faith or in life in general. And it was amazing to me that the responses that I got back were very similar in the aspect of either children and children just with the simplicity of life and the simplicity of faith in the best possible way forward, like Christ said, having faith like a child, but just being able to look at the life so easily. And sometimes we make it so complex and forgetting that the simplicity of it can be really powerful and really good for us to look at. But also just people in general are an amazing keystone species. I think that's one of the things that's been really difficult right now as the world has become more connected, but also in ways I feel more divided. And we really need each other to be able to constructively and not necessarily to purely convince, but able to have conversations that allow for us to think about deeper issues, think about bigger things, and be able to twist and contort our ideas and understandings of what life is all about. And I think that's one of the things that's the beauty of the human species when we let each other speak and don't just yell at each other, but we actually genuinely listen. And I think it's something as a church community and as a world we really could continue to work on. And I don't know if we ever really perfect in this lifetime. And it's kind of sad. And I think it's one of the things that I know I need to continue to work on. And hopefully it's something that we all as a human species can continue to work on. 
So let's just jump right into it this week. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the beginning of Matthew's kind of Christ's birthing story. Now remember that we only have the birth story in two of the four gospels, in Matthew and in Luke. You're probably going to be hearing on Christmas Eve the Luke text because Matthew just isn't as familiar, I wouldn't say maybe that way, or maybe not just as rose-colored and as beautifully written, maybe, as Luke's. But we have in this text, Jesus is going to be born, Mary is engaged to Joseph, but Joseph finds that she's pregnant and is going to just dismiss her, as it says here, dismiss her quietly, coming from the end of verse 19, essentially kind of slowly tear things apart and slowly be a very subtle thing, because this would have been a very big, hot, controversial issue at this time and in this space with this culture that they were talking about here. And an angel comes to Joseph and says that the Holy Spirit has brought forth this child. This is the one to fulfill the prophet, which we will see below here in just a minute, and that the virgin mother will conceive and bear the son named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And when Joseph awoke from this sleep, he did exactly as the angel commanded, and no marital relations, coming from verse 25, happened until the child was born and they named him Jesus or Emmanuel. So that's the Matthew text, but I think there's some fun things we'll get into that this week because there's some interesting tie-ins that we can take from this that I think are really interesting to think about, but we'll come back to that. The first reading this week is from Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 16. Here we have Ahaz trying to, and poorly being able to listen to God, trying to talk to him. And Isaiah then comes out and starts saying how poorly he was doing and being able to communicate with God. And thus, he then lays out the foretelling of Jesus. Look, a young woman is with child, shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel, and he shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. For the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land before those two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The prophecy of Isaiah talking about this child to be born that's going to change our existence, change our history. The psalm this week is Psalm 80, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. And again, it's this similar type of thing of asking, when is this prophecy going to be fulfilled? The people are praying, when all the pain that we are seeing going to be restored? And we have this idea, this working of knowing that the land will be restored and that the Christ will come in and bring back and fulfill these prophecies that have been made and make it a thriving community is what we get out of the psalm this week. The second reading this week is from Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. So here we have Paul writing to the Roman church and again talking about how 
at this point, connecting what has been said with the prophecies, specifically looking to back to Isaiah, and that Christ is the one fulfilling what had been prophesied to these people. And so all these readings then come back to this gospel text. And before we jump into how science and faith tie into Christ's birth, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussion, having professors at Luther Seminary who are helping to train the next generation of pastors and church leaders, it helps give me, since I am not an ordained minister and have not gone to seminary, some direction on a week-to-week basis on how to bring you this podcast week after week. So, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Second of all, I'm also going to say that if you're on Christmas break and you're looking for something to do, you could still catch God Friended Me at least the last few episodes. I'd highly recommend it. I feel it's a very good show, kind of showing the difficulties at times of what it means to be a follower of God when the world around you and even yourself causes doubt and then how God still works through people. And so if you haven't checked out God Friended Me on CBS, I'd highly recommend it. If we look at this gospel text and think about what is this all going on and try to put ourselves for a moment in Joseph's shoes, he has some really difficult shoes to be putting on. He has this woman, that Mary, that we don't know how long they've been together, but then finds that she's pregnant after he was planning to marry this woman. And in all of this... We also see that he then is essentially, through the process of the angel talking to him, going to be an adopted father. And if you've talked to anybody who has gone through the process of adoption or gone through the process of taking someone in, even for an extended period of time, things can be very difficult. And it's very hard because you get into this weird situation. And that's kind of where Joseph is at. And you get into the whole idea of where does this fall? And it got me thinking about how many other animals do we actually see adopting others? And one of the things that I was specifically trying to look at is How often do we see this happen out in the wild? We've seen all the cute videos, and I can attach them down below, of domesticated or semi-domesticated in some form or fashion, either in a zoo or that there some type of relationship forms with like an elephant and a dog or a dog and a squirrel or these different things based on that you have two animals spending a significant amount of time together. But how many times do we actually find adoption? And I found a couple different articles this week, and I'm going to attach them down below with really interesting science going behind it in a lot of different ways for a lot of different types of adoption, if you want to put it that way. 
I found an article off of National Geographic referencing back to May of 2013 where there was an adoption of a sperm whale and a deformed bottlenose dolphin and kind of goes into the aspect of, oh, look, it's probably a Disney type movie happening, but goes into why are animals looking to adopt and they looked at it and took it from this perspective of that there could be a potential benefit in the long run. The idea of not only the social companionship element, but if you raise up the young at some point, they probably could help you provide food in some nature and the benefits that that could bring to whatever family nucleus that they had at that time found another really, really good article from the BBC that, again, goes into this and approaches it from a slightly different perspective. I would say a bit more of a science perspective than that, looking at a couple different species, but one looking at northern elephant seals and noticing that 472 orphan pups happened over the series of a couple years that they were tracking and realizing that some of these were like permanently abandoned by their parents and some were temporarily. But what was the benefit for the female taking these in? And one of the hypotheses that was presented was, is this a way to help the mothers who maybe lost or had trouble giving birth look like they still are an eligible mate for next year and continue to have the hormones go through or at least be able to maybe jumpstart the hormones to kick in so that they would be a possible better mate the following year. One other one that they got into were Lake Erie's ring-billed gulls and discussing how they have this weird thing called nest switching, where when the infant birds get big enough, because of the lack of identifiers, they can easily move nest to nest, and it makes it really difficult for the parents to even know if they're feeding their young or not. And the whole reason on why they did that is they figure because they have a hard time being able to select which one is theirs and which one isn't, that's why they might as well feed them all. But the most interesting one of this group, again, is a primate group, so it's a little bit closer to us genetically, is looking at maroset and different types of maroset monkeys and capuchin monkeys. And they found this single marmoset, which is significantly smaller than capuchin monkeys. And capuchin monkeys, for instance, when they're full grown, are about seven to eight pounds, where a marmoset is about one pound. And so they talked about how it was amazing to watch this Maroset be accepted in. And even though typically they have different feeding habits, they were able to kind of work together and kind of figuring out how it would interact with the whole group of capuchin monkeys. And the capuchin monkeys kind of looked out for it. It still 
had trouble keeping up as they were moving through the jungle a little bit faster than what it could do, but they still had some compassion for this infant and kind of concludes in this article of there seems to be this drive within species to take care of young. Doesn't even matter if it's their own young, just this obsession to take care of young. The final example is actually one that was very recent, this last year in 2018, and from right here in my backyard here at Lake Bemidji, where they had a picture of a common merganser with upwards to 76 young. Now, granted, as you read through the article, part of it is just how mergansers are work. They lay their eggs in multiple different nests, The and then this kind of becomes where this meganser wasn't necessarily raising all these young, kind of more like a daycare system, where the parents are off doing things during the day, and then they come back and kind of take some of their own clan off at the end of the day. But again, this idea of adoption or taking care of a large group of young which is really fascinating. And all these three articles I will make sure to attach in the show notes. To me, this is really interesting because to me, this shows this isn't just a human constructed thing. We see adoption then throughout the animal kingdom all around us. The desire to take care of young is embedded somewhere within our own DNA. I remember one experience when I was young. We had gotten a stray black lab and had her neutered early on in her life. And the International Wolf Center up in Ely, Minnesota was getting new wolf pups. And this would have been somewhere in the ballpark of like 2000, 2002 maybe, somewhere in that ballpark. But they had recordings online of these wolf pups. And I distinctly remember sitting at the computer and pushing play and our dog's ears perked up and was going over to the computer and had her ear like buried into the monitor producing these wolf pup sounds, trying to figure out where are these pups, where are these pups, where are these pups, so that she could try to help these pups. I think there's something like that we can see even in our own human species. And you think about the process that Joseph had to go through of adopting in one that isn't his own. And we know later on it's fairly evident that Jesus did have other brothers, but that Joseph adopted him in and from what we can tell even taught him his own craft of carpentry, that he accepted him to the best that he could and tried to give and provide the best that he could at that time. It's really easy when we think about these stories to forget that we're looking at Mary and Joseph as these teenagers, barely getting by, trying to provide for this young, innocent baby. And especially that Joseph then isn't the father of this baby. But yet when we look to nature, there is just this desire within nature and arguably within us to take care of that child. 
And in this case, Joseph being able to not only take care of that child, but understand the higher calling of what God is trying to do with Mary and himself. This whole adoption part of the narrative, I had never really thought about until going through this time with the scripture. And I think it's something that we kind of gloss over and that this would be a very difficult and hard thing. Speaking as a man, I feel like this would take time to process. It would take time to be able to get my head around because it appeared that Mary had been unfaithful. And yet the angel coming to him and saying that is not the case. And Joseph getting over whatever pride is in him to accept that and to welcome Jesus into his family, their clan, their tribe, however you want to put it. This, I think, in a way also kind of shows that as a church, how well are we welcoming in those that maybe don't have a clan, don't have a tribe, are somewhat rejected in whatever form or fashion that this world throws at them. I think this is a text that opens that up and in a way opens our eyes up to the possibility of, again, the Lord, the Savior, the one who has been promised for generations comes as a child, but yet he's going to change everything. I would argue if we open our eyes to seeing the world and seeing and understanding the ones that have been rejected, do we not have our own world changed. Taking an animal's perspective, there must be some drive within all species to take care of young, be it our own or others. And if that is the case, then why aren't we caring about our neighbor more than we are currently? And I think it's times like this, especially at the time of Christmas, that we can start even looking to our animal brothers and sisters to learn what this actually Christmas season is about. If this doesn't portray preparing, I don't know quite what does. Obviously, Mary, with being pregnant, had nine months to prepare for her life totally changing. And talk to any mother, that's the case. But I think there's also the point of having adoption in this from Joseph's perspective, but also any family that's gone through the process of adoption. It changes everything. And Joseph, in this case, I think there's a lot of preparation that we're misunderstanding. And yes, it might mean that we have to adopt and change and be willing to let God speak through us and use us in new ways. But yet, no, just like Christ entering the world, that it changes things probably also for the better, not just for the worse. And I think at times we overlook that and overlook the adoption part of that. So, the Twitter question this week will be, where have you done an adoption in your life? Or where will you do an adoption in your life? And what I mean by adoption in quotes is some type of change, something coming in that changes everything. It can be a child. It can be physically adopting a child. 
It could be a pet and that coming in and changing your world. But maybe it's also just adopting a family or adopting a church or adopting a section of your community, be it human or some other means. I'd love to hear what you're adopting. One final thing that I wanted to give you guys an update about. A few weeks ago, or more than a few weeks ago, I talked about hashtag Team Trees and how we had Mark Romer and Mr. Beast helping with the YouTube community with the goal of raising $20 million to plant 20 million trees over a two-year period. I'm glad to announce that that goal has been met. They just made it this last week. They're still taking donations through the end of the year to go on above and beyond. But I think in a way this also shows an adoption narrative in and of itself. That if we all come together to adopt something like, say, creation, that we can do so much more together than we ever could by ourselves. And I think that's maybe one of the things that Joseph and Mary had to be thinking about as Christ laying in their arms and knowing everything that was told to them through angels and through all these different people that we get through both the Matthew and the Luke text of this nativity. So, as we prepare for this beautiful season of Christmas that is quickly upon us, just a few thoughts of adoption to think about and to ponder in your heart. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. And Merry Christmas. I'll see you for the week of the 29th.